Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Radically Loved Podcast. I'm really excited for the guest today. I feel like I say that often, but this is a very, very special guest. We have Jessica Long on the show, who is a multi-time Olympian. She's a swimmer. She's a very unique story. For some of you fans out there, you probably already know or are familiar, but if you're not... Jessica's story is so inspirational. And I love stuff like this as a fellow athlete myself, certainly not at the caliber that Jess is, but I like to dream, right? I mean, and I think that's part of the conversation we're going to have today is about following your dreams and being inspired and, you know, what makes us get up in the morning and continue to to keep doing the thing that is challenging in the face of adversity and, and things like that. And I'm so excited too, because Jessica has a book out, The Mermaid with No Tail. I have an uncorrected proof. It came out in September, at the end of September. And it's a beautiful children's book, although I think it's applicable to all ages of life. And I've read it multiple times now. And I'm just excited to share it with you all. So Jess, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us today. Do you want to add anything to your bio? Well, goodness. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to sit down and to talk with you and to talk about my life and the the new children's book. But no, I think you did a really good job. There's definitely so much to dissect with my story, but I thought that was a really beautiful introduction. Oh, good. <laughs> I just, I feel like there's always so much to say. And with your story in particular, we're going to just continue to dive into it throughout the episode, which, so it'll just be like this long amazing, interesting conversation. So pull up a chair, make yourself a cup of tea, get cozy and settle in for this amazing story. There's so many topics I want to cover with you, Jess. I just made a quick little list and this has been on my mind a lot because I'm training for my third marathon. It's coming up in October. And when I think about people like you who are professional athletes and you know are very I imagine very regimented in your nutrition, your recovery, your training schedule. Certainly you've had to be to <laughs> operate at the Olympic level. I'm curious if we could start with how you approach your daily life as a means to achieving such a feat as to be this high caliber athlete. Is it okay if we start there? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I hope I'm answering this right. You know, I think for me, I, I've been training and swimming since the time that I was 10. And I started the sport because I loved it, right? I didn't join swimming thinking that I would ever win medals or have a Super Bowl commercial or have this children's book. I truly started swimming because I loved it. And when days get really, really hard, and for me, right, I'm 31. I've been swimming for so long, over half of my life. 
the days do get hard, right? It gets really hard to get out of the bed, out of my bed in the morning, especially when I'm jumping in a really, really cold pool. So for me, I often go back to the beginning and why I started. And that truly helps me so, so much when I have those really tough days. And as I've gotten older and I've, I feel like I've accomplished pretty much everything I've ever wanted to in the Paralympics, right? You know, I, I have 16 gold medals. I'm hoping to aim for my sixth Paralympics next year in Paris. You know, I, I still love swimming, but as I've gotten older, it's definitely gotten more challenging just because I'm like, wow, like what more do I want to do? So I think it's really important to continue to set goals for yourself. And, you know, for me as a swimmer, the Paralympics come every four years. And in between those four years, we always have some type of really big competition. So that's really allowed me to to kind of keep going and to keep moving forward when things get tough. But, you know, I definitely have a very, I mean, it's strict, but it's not. And there were times in my career where it was definitely way more strict. Like when I was 16 to 20, I don't know, 25, 26, there was so much like so many miles I was putting in the pool, right? You know, garbage yardage, we call it. And as I've gotten older, I've really learned quality over quantity. So that's been really exciting to see kind of like similar times and not as much training, but also the same time quality work. So I don't know if that answered your question, but there's there's definitely a lot there. And it's been really exciting to to see what my body can still do as I try to make the next team for Paris. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I'm getting just like the my spine tingling. The hair's kind of standing up on my back. <laughs> I just find this so inspirational. And I love to hear you talk about things like quality over quantity. I'm trying to relax into that mentality. I think the thing for me is trusting that I have a foundation and trusting my body to do the work and relax into the knowledge that come race day, that performance anxiety, those nerves, I'm trying to shift it towards like, okay, well, you're excited instead of you're nervous, you're going to fail, your body's going to fail you. I'm trying to shift that mentality. So yeah, I would love to hear a little bit more about how you approach quality versus quantity in terms of training. And also I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about like nerves around performance anxiety and race day performance and kind of flipping the script a little bit on on nerves. Are you able to do that? I imagine you get nervous. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Start with first. Well, okay. Well, I guess the nerves, that's what I'm remembering. You know, for me, I love, love, love the pressure. And I often get so nervous. I mean, I get nervous, not to the point where I don't feel like I can't perform, but I'm just so excited to see what I can do. Right. I've dreamed of this moment, right. I've visualized my races. And I think more than anything, it's just such an excitement to to finally be in that call room as I get ready to head out and to race in front of, you know, thousands of people. But I'll never forget being in Tokyo. And it was my very first, like, this was my gold medal race. And I wanted to win like really bad. And that for me would have been a four peat. And I'll never forget being in the call room and seeing my hand kind of shake. And I was like, whoa, like, we don't, we, we got to calm down. Like, this is just something I truly love to do. And I think for me, there has to be like a mentality shift where it's, you know, for so long, my identity was in the sport of swimming, right? And I think it's taken me such a long time to just realize I love to swim. At the end of the day, it's just swimming. And no matter what I do in the pool, I'm still enough. I'm still loved. I'm still valued. I'm still just Jessica Long, right? And I think that's always really helped, but I absolutely love 
the nerves as well. And I love the quote from Billie Jean King, pressure is a privilege. I think that's such an exciting quote. So for sure, I have nerves. And in swimming, we actually do so much different training for that type of thing, right? We, we do nostril breathing to calm ourselves down. And oftentimes when I'm in that call room and it's the final show, right? It's the race day. It's everything I've prepared for. I just have to remember that I've done this so many times. I've raced this race so many times. I know what to do. My body knows what to do. And kind of what you said, right? Trusting the process. And that gives me the confidence that no matter what, you know, if I showed up every single day, if I worked hard every single day, and even if I had a bad day, right? I still showed up that when I'm in that, when I'm about to race, no matter the results, I think for me, I just think, you know, you can't really lose, right? Because you've done everything within your control and your power. So that gives me the confidence to keep stepping up and racing, even after I've failed, even after I've won, even after it wasn't the best race, just to do the best that I can and to know that it was never a failure. It's always little wins along the way. That's beautiful. I love that. Ugh. Yes, I need to adopt that, internalize it myself. And uh, oh, the other thing that you just mentioned that reminded me of preparing is visualization. Is that a practice that you do daily, regularly as you get closer to race day? Yeah, you know, I actually was just having this conversation with my friend yesterday, maybe. You know, when those exciting moments come, and I think like Paris is in one year, yesterday was our official countdown. And I've gotten to the point in my career where when I get excited and I have these bursts of motivation and I start to visualize the race, I let it, I just let it play out. But there are moments where it's almost too much, where I have to kind of take a step back. But when those moments come, right, when I'm listening to a pump up song, when I'm doing really well in a workout, And I allow myself to visualize the race. And I think that's kind of perfect for me, right? I think every single person's different and what works for them. And when I was really, really little and my entire identity was in swimming, that's all I did. Visualize, visualize, visualize. And I love and I believe in the power of visualization. But as I've gotten older, there's definitely been a little bit more, maybe it's the quality versus quantity, right? When to turn it on, when to turn it off. And that is a practice that I do as well when I'm competing at the Paralympics and we're away for a month and we're racing. I'm racing up to seven to nine events. You have to learn when to turn it on and off, right? When to celebrate, when to be sad, when to keep like to move forward to your next race. So I've really worked very hard on like, I don't know, when to turn it on, when to turn it off, if that makes sense. I'm curious about that in terms of like, I get what you're saying intellectually, but how do you know? Is it kind of like a an intuitive sense? And I mean, I know you've practiced this for decades now. <laughs> so for you, perhaps it is intuitive. What would you say to the person who's an aspiring athlete or kind of like has this big goal, like doing a a marathon for the first time? What would you say to the person starting out on their yeah. big journey? Yeah, well, I've never run a marathon, ran, I cannot run. So I think that's amazing. My husband runs like every day. But I think for me, where I would start with that is I love like any type of goal to be written down. I think for me, when I can see it, that's how I can believe it and achieve it. And that's kind of the same thing with the visualization, right? I, I go from the start, the middle, and the end of the race. I, I And I visualize, I have visualized every single thing in that race, whether it's my goggles falling off, my suit ripping, you know, when my competitor's close, like I want to see it all play out in different scenarios. And that's really helped me as well. But I tend to think like if I was doing a marathon, which I think is amazing, where I would start is I would, I think I would have a thought for each, each mile. 
Ooh. And I think that really helped me or even different times or pieces or kind of your thought process or, Hey, we know that 18 is going to be the hardest in mile 18. I, I have no idea what I'm saying, but I'm just, I don't know. But, um, that's when, you, that's when you like, you kind of have to smile through the pain or like, that's kind of ways that I get through my workouts too, where I'm just like, okay, we have four sets of this insane workout. This is our main set. The third set's going to be the hardest. So the third set is the one that you have to put your head down and just truly believe in yourself. I don't know. That's kind of what I do. <laughs> yeah, no, that's super helpful. I love the idea of um, kind of visualizing each mile. I was thinking about that yesterday, actually, as I was doing a training run. And you're right, 18 to 20, 22, most racers, they call it the wall. They hit the wall. I don't know if you have something similar in swimming where it's just like, typically that's because you haven't fueled enough and your glucose stores are depleted and you just like physiologically will shut down. <laughs> so hoping, hoping to avoid that this third time around, third time's a charm. But thank you. That's so helpful. So if we could go back in time a little bit, like I mentioned, I've read this beautiful book multiple times. For those of you listening, I'm holding up Just as Beautiful, The Mermaid with No Tail. It's gorgeously illustrated by, is it Erin O'Callaghan? Yeah, I think so. That's one thing I'm not actually 100%. It looks like it, right? A-I-R-I-N. Um, beautifully illustrated. And so this is your story, right? But if you don't mind, I'd love to read just a little quote from it. Yeah. And it says, one of the racers overheard her and said, well, you'll never have a chance at winning with no tail. It's just not possible for you to beat mermaids who use their powerful tail fins to propel themselves through the water. The other mermaids nodded in agreement. And so this is, you know, back in time, your story, I'm assuming around the age of 10, starting out with this. Well, I have so many questions on this. So I'm going to try not to bombard you. But I mean, at that young age, it seemed like you knew what you wanted to do, regardless of somebody like the naysayers saying, you don't have a tail, or in your case, you were born with fibular hemimelia, which is the bones in your legs, the lower part of your legs were not there or they didn't grow. I was born without the fibula bone. Okay, without the fibula. And a foot with three toes that was amputated. So that was the thing that was amputated. Yeah. And then you had to have multiple surgeries throughout childhood. Every time you grew, they had to like shave off parts of the bone. Yes. Which was something, so I was adopted from Russia. So this book is basically, it's my whole life story, which is so cute to me. But I was adopted and that's one thing that my parents didn't realize. They, that when I was adopted, that the bone would continue to grow. So on each side of my legs, I think I've had about, I've had a total of probably about 25 revision surgeries, which was definitely so hard, which was why I drew like fell in love with swimming, right? I didn't have to wear my prosthetics and I had really strong arms. So that's kind of a piece, a big piece in this whole book, right? She learns to swim with her arms, which is how I swim. But there's quite a few memories of me, you know, going back to what you just read in the book, you know, I think people my entire life had looked at me as, you know, the girl with no legs, right? That was my label. And it's so funny because even last year, I have the cutest story that I'm like, wow, this is why this book is so important. But, you know, that was my label, the girl with no legs. And I didn't mind it. It was tough. There were moments I didn't even feel like I was missing my legs. But when it came to performance or winning, you know, for me swimming, I, I knew I didn't have legs. And honestly, like it was so hard that the girls could beat me. But then when I figured out a way to swim so strong in the water, navigating the water with technique and hand position, and I started beating all the girls with legs, you know, I think that truly changed the, I mean, obviously changed the entire course of my life. 
But it just was truly, it's amazing because there's been so many times in my life where people have just been like, oh, you can swim fast? And I'm like, of course, yes. Yeah, you just, you adapt. Everyone's so adaptable, so. I love that. I guess my specific question around this is, um, I think a lot of times in our life, especially when we're young, very impressionable with what people around us are saying we can and cannot do. Oftentimes we will, and I've had this experience, I'm trying to think of a good example and I can't right now, but I've had that experience where people are like, oh, you don't want to do that. That's not, you know, you'd be miserable if you took that path in your life. And I, I chose to listen. Don't let me put words in your mouth, but it seems like you chose to use that as fuel, or maybe you just completely ignored that altogether and were like, but I want to do this thing. I'm curious what you would attribute that to that. Would you call it willpower? Would you call it determination? Would you call it destiny? I don't know. I think for me as a child, like quitting just wasn't an option, right? My entire life, like I've always known that there was more to my life than just being the girl with no legs. And if I didn't have my legs, then I was going to make the most of this life without my legs, right? And I've never wanted to waste my life. And, you know, for me, swimming was truly just the perfect way to, to shock everyone, right? I, again, I was always the girl with no legs and I kind of, you know, loved, loved racing and beating these girls with legs because I knew that I clearly had a disadvantage and it took a lot of work. It still takes a lot of work, but yeah, I would say a lot of determination, but a lot of that determination truly came from all of those surgeries, right? Everything that I've ever done, I've always wanted to create a habit to never give up. Right. And even in my everyday life, right, if I have a doubt with a set, sometimes I'll do an extra set. Or if I don't want to do an extra push up, I do an extra push up. Like anytime that I've had a doubt in myself, I'm like, okay, now let's do an extra one. And uh, I've just tried to carry that as a habit in all and everything that I do. And I mean, it's not, you know, my entire life, like I still can't give up. You know, even if I have a bad day, I still wake up without my legs. I still have two prosthetics and I still have to show up to the pool. And work as hard as I can. So I think for me growing up, I never, ever wanted to give up. And I loved when people doubted me. That truly just worked really well for me. And not everyone is that way. But for me, it was truly fuel to the fire, right? I, I love this idea that people already wrote me off before I even started. And I'll never forget one time I was swimming and some, I wanted to get in a lane with someone. And the person was just like, no, like I'm swimming fast today. And I was like, okay, <laughs> they were not as fast as me. But see, even just that, like saw me with no legs, I walk on my knees. But I just think that's what makes, like the water is so incredibly beautiful because you're just, you're weightless and there's so much power and there's so many ways to just navigate yourself through the water, even without legs, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I've had that experience in my body where my legs actually feel like they kind of drag me down. And I'm sure there's technique behind that. <laughs> but I could see where the power that you have in your upper body, the way that you hold your hand, like even just, and I don't really know much about swimming, although I do love being in the water, but I notice a difference between spreading my fingers and letting the water go through versus kind of almost making like a fin where all of my fingers are together. I've heard before too, I was curious in terms of technique about making kind of like when you're stroking forward and then pulling your hand back, is there kind of like an S curve shape to your hand that does something to your forward motion? I personally wouldn't. That's very old school. Okay. <laughs> like the key, it's like a key. You make a key. Uh, okay. Yes. So just kind of what I see so many silly, like little mistakes in swimming where so many people cross over here. And it's like, honestly, this is so much of your power, the wider you go and people tend to drop their elbows. So like, 
you know, there was a time that I actually coached an all girls school. I was an assistant coach and that was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done, but just even helping with technique, right. Giving back to the sport. But yeah, I think for me, just there's so much with body position is pretty much what we call it. So tucking the ribs, when to breathe, when not to breathe, your hands, your elbows, your hips, every single thing. I mean, right. We're coming down, it's coming down to the hundreds of a second. So we think about everything. And that's why I'm probably still swimming because, right, you're always learning something. I'm sure you learn different things with running, right? Like I'm still always learning. And I think that that's what keeps it really exciting too. Yeah. In terms of technique, there was one more question I had specifically about breathing, which as it relates to running, I've been doing a lot of work trying to get myself to breathe in and out through my nose, which is so, so hard because it kind of freaks me out. But with breathing while you're swimming, and you mentioned techniques before like nasal breathing, are there any sort of breathing practices that you do before you get into the water? And then what would you say about breathing while you're in the water? Yeah, breathing in the water. I mean, we do a lot of different sets. Called, they're like hypoxic sets. So we'll breathe every three strokes, every five strokes, seven strokes, 11 strokes. I learned from a very early age to do bilateral breathing. So I breathe both sides, which has always allowed me to be very balanced in the water. And I'll never forget my coach being like, because I only breathe to the right, which is my dominant side. I'm right-handed. So it's such a struggle. My right side in the water is so great. I've always had to work really hard on my left side to be completely even. But bilateral breathing, I would say is one of the best things. And then for me, when I breathe, I think so many people make the mistake of like lifting their head really, really high which can instantly drop your hips and your whole side. And if you're not strong enough, right? Like I'm a professional swimmer, you can't really get your body up when you try to rotate. Everything's all about rotating. So I see that as a common mistake, breathing, lifting your head too high. And it's really just a simple tuck of the chin. And I breathe half in the water, half out. So I sometimes have water in my mouth and that just comes with practice. But yeah, I see too many people breathe with their head way too high and it just throws off the entire alignment of the shirt. (laughs) That makes sense. Okay. Sorry. One more technique question, (laughs) because I've been struggling with this for years and I've never actually worked with a professional coach, which probably fix it like that. But the turn that you do underwater, when you get to one end of the pool to go back, any tips there? So we're doing butterfly or brushstroke. Sometimes we'll teach the kids. I've done different clinics where it's like elbow your, so two hands elbow your brother, call your mother. And that's a really quick way to get off the wall pretty tight. When you're coming in to do a flip turn, I tuck into a giant ball, but I use my hands to get myself over, right? Because normally you have the kick to kind of like get everything over. So I use my hands and everything that I have to just push the water back into a ball until I go like up into a streamline. Oh, I like that. It's really hard to explain it. But you want to swim in as fast as you can because the faster you swim into the wall, the faster you come out. But yeah, again, it's kind of the same thing, not lifting your head before you flip, keeping everything as tight into a tight ball and using your hands to get over. Yeah. And then I'm sure practice, practice, practice. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to go back to the book and in terms of thinking about mentors and the, I guess the opposite side of the coin of the naysayers, those that really encouraged you. And it seems like one of the other threads throughout the book is your mom and dad were a huge part of this. And I just love this last, well, it's actually the last page. I'm so proud of you, said mom turtle. Your missing tail is what makes you unique, said dad turtle. Tatiana smiled as the winner's trident shell was placed around her neck. I didn't realize it before Tatiana said, but the thing that makes you different is your greatest gift. And I just wanted to hear you talk a little bit more about 
different mentors in your life, certainly your mom and dad, and coming to this realization that that difference is your greatest gift. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, I absolutely love my parents. I was adopted when I was 13 months old from Russia and my Russian name was Tatiana. So that's why her name is Tatiana in the book. And I think it's adorable that the two turtles find her in a clamshell, right? Adoption. That's kind of supposed to be the theme. And I also think it's so cute that the turtles they're turtles, right? Because they don't swim fast. They can't teach her to swim fast. My parents never swam. They never knew anything about swimming. So there's so many cute little pieces, little nuggets in the book that's very, very similar to my story. I mean, it is my story, but I, I definitely think mentors are huge. You know, I, as I've gotten older on Team USA, I for sure hope that I'm a mentor to the next generation or even a role model. Someone who I have mentored is Haven Shepherd. Um, she's missing both of her legs, just like me. She was adopted and she's incredible. But people who have mentored me or who I've looked up to, you know, I really have always looked up to Michael Phelps. I think he's incredible. And I think it's so cool that he did the forward for this book. And we trained together a little bit for the Rio Olympics and Paralympics. But for me as a little girl, I always really, really looked up to someone named Erin Popovich, who's another Paralympic swimmer. And she is a little person. But I think, you know, she had won so many gold medals. And I think more than anything, what I noticed as a young swimmer, and I'm talking like 10, 11 years old, was just the way that she carried herself on the pool deck, right? She talked to everyone. And even though she was a fierce competitor and had won gold medals and had sponsorships and all these things that little 10-year-old me was just dreaming about, she still took time to talk to me. And we had this really, really sweet special moment in Tokyo when it's kind of very common in Paralympics to just really like count the gold medals, even though like we have the whole tally of medals, the gold medals are exciting. And I believe she had had 14 gold medals and I going to Tokyo had 13. So I was still one below her and like me being competitive too. I was like, I don't want to just tie. Like I want to like break pose rep. Like I love Poe. We just shared a really sweet moment when I surpassed her and we, she just like gave me a hug and I just remember saying something like, thanks for setting the bar so high. And I think that's what it's all about, right? For role models, for mentors, just to set the bar high and, you know, to be human, but also to just be good athletes and good people. And she was always that to me, just a friend and gave me some of the best advice. Mm, it's so sweet. Why this book? Why now? Is Has it been in your in the back of your mind in the works for a while? What made you decide to write it? Yeah. Okay. So this is actually wild. This was my whole, this was my dad's idea. So my dad is someone who has always believed in me. I think he truly is the best. And I dedicated my section to him, but he was over one day and just helping me hang up pictures and lights and doing all sorts of fun stuff. And I still have the original notes in my phone from 2017, 2018. It's one of those years I need to look it up. I think it's going on five years now where he was just like, Jess, I have this idea for a children's book for you. And he was the one that drove me back and forth to swim practice when I had never even won a gold medal or anything exciting. I remember one time he said, Jess, I think one day you're going to have a book. So he's always been so excited. And I always thought it was really cute. Whenever I got disqualified in swimming, which didn't happen that often, but it's called DQ. So he would, my parents would take me to Dairy Queen and I could get an ice <laughs> Ever got disqualified. But he was the one that came up with the whole book idea. And The Mermaid with No Tail, I mean, we were able to dream and talk about it together over the last couple years. But it really, really came to life. You know, I mentioned the idea to my agent, Ian, and Ian's incredible. You know, any wild thought or idea 
idea that I have, I feel like Ian is like so excited as well. And he somehow makes it always happen. So, you know, I was already working on a book with Sounds True, my own, another book coming out. And uh, we just presented this children's book idea and they fell in love with it. And we already had the script pretty much done. We had a bunch of different versions for the ending, but I'm just so proud of the way that it ended. And I don't think in my wildest dreams that I could have dreamed the book looking this amazing because to me this is like the cutest I feel like she looks like me like Aaron did an amazing job so yeah it really came about just because of my dad and I just dreaming and talking through it and it's amazing to see it come to life yeah I can imagine it's like your own little baby it's so sweet (laughs) it is very cute too any hopes or takeaways for young people and also adults? I can see parents reading this to their children. I'm certainly going to, I don't have children myself, but I want to read it to my little niece. Any key takeaways that you hope parents and children? Yeah. Well, I think some of the big things, you know, for me growing up without legs, I just, I always knew it was different. Right. And I, I knew again, I was the girl with no legs and it can be really, really hard to be different. And to, you know, there was a time all I wanted to do was blend in. I didn't want people to know that I didn't have legs. And often I got really upset when kids would stare at me and point at me. And as I've gotten older, of course, I've, I've realized, you know, that there's such a curiosity there, but I think obviously the next, the children are the future, the next generation. And if we don't teach them that, like, what makes them different is truly their superpower, their greatest gift. I think we're going to really suffer, right? I think that's the most amazing thing that we can tell kids is, you know, what makes you different is is your greatest gift. I'm struggling with my words, but um, I'll never forget last summer, right? You know, it's been years since I was a kid or even, even getting around little kids. And I was swimming and there was a summer camp and I took off my legs. And a lot of times you don't know I'm missing legs until I take off my pants and everything. Mm-hmm. And I walk on my knees over to the edge and a whole bunch of these little kids, because they were playing this like kitty pool right next to the lap swimming. And a whole bunch of them were like, oh my gosh, that's so weird. Like, how are you going to swim? Like just talking. And I was like, it's not weird. I was like, this is just how I swim. I just take off my legs and I swim with my arms, which is was so cute with the whole idea with the book coming to life too. And there was only one kid who said, I don't think it's weird. I think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such an important thing just to teach kids that it's okay to be different. And it's already tough enough with social media. So I just hope that it teaches kids to embrace their differences and to maybe even look at kids with differences, differences, differences um, with a little bit more kindness. Yeah. Did you say anything in response to the one kid who said that to you that they thought it was awesome? Yeah. I was like, see, I was like, it's, I just saw with my arms. I was like, thanks. Yeah, it is awesome. I don't know. I think I just said something like that, but it was only one. Like, I think there was like 10 of them who were saying stuff like, what? Like, how are you even going to swim? And I was like, with my arms, silly. Like it was cute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just the one was like, it's awesome. (laughs) I was like, thank you. Like, it just made me smile because it was like, for a second there, I was like, wow, things have not really changed. But yeah, that gave me a little bit of hope. Yeah, I think that's it's important to highlight that it really only does take one, though, even in a group full of kids who are all kind of getting on the bandwagon. It really only takes that one voice to change probably that whole group's mind. And certainly you showing up and actually like getting into the pool and showing them that it's possible is changing their minds, too. But I think that's so important. The one thing I definitely wanted to touch on a little bit more is 
It sounds like, you know, you're pretty successful. You're very strong. You've got great technique, great mentors. But I wanted to hear a little bit more about what you do in the face of feeling like you have failed or maybe didn't perform the way that you wanted to. I'm curious about like mental techniques, how you talk to yourself when you're feeling like that. And then if you take any sort of time to reflect and then how do you take that forward into what you do next? Yeah. Yeah. Such a good question. You know, I I don't believe I would have made it this far if I hadn't failed, right? I think for me, failure happens so often, right? And it's, it's so many people recognize the success, but I wouldn't have been successful without some of the failures. And for me, those failures look like, you know, maybe not going the time that I wanted or not getting the medal that I wanted, or just feeling like, just like what happened in that race, like my body gave out or just whatever that has happened. I've always tried to turn failure into the, like into fire. And I'm very big on getting out of your comfort zone. I think that's when real growth happens. And that's something that I've worked really hard to get out of my comfort zone when it's time, you know, whether that's getting a new coach or trying a new technique or just, you know, reaching out and letting people know mentally, or, you know, I think mental health is another huge component and making sure that that's in check. And after every Paralympic Games, there's always been something, you know, we call the post blues. So even working through that, you know, I have a therapist. I think that's huge. That that has always helped me so much, even with my performance. But when those moments come, you know, I think for me, it's kind of what we talked about earlier. It's turning it on and turning it off, right? In the middle of a competition, you know, if I have a bad race, I've worked really hard to just try to put it behind me. And on Team USA, we actually have this thing we call like the five minute rule. So if you have a bad race, you can be upset. You can cry for about five minutes and then you have to come back and sit with Team USA and cheer. And, and you can always, of course, work on what you're upset with later, but like you still have to be a part of the team and Team USA. But, you know, I think for me, it's always going back to the drawing board and figuring out what worked and what didn't. And I know for me, you know, there's been a lot of trial and error, right? I think routines are huge and perfecting your routine and always navigating and working through that your routine is like one of the best ways to become successful. I've worked on my routine for 20 some years and I just competed at Worlds maybe a month ago. And even that I took notes, I learned stuff. I was like, wow, I haven't raced in a couple of years because I, I pulled out of Worlds last year just for mental health reasons. But yeah, I think it's important to perfect your routines. And you know, when I, I'm dragging on, but just even speaking positive, I can definitely get down on myself and just be like, man, you're just along. You're supposed to be better. Like just it, there can be some negative talk for sure. And there's in those moments, I have to just remember that like the brain is so powerful and what you feed it you can believe it. So I have to really focus on speaking really kindly to myself if I have a bad time or a bad performance and just learning to keep moving forward at the end of the day. Yeah. Because you practice this skill of like paying attention to that mental talk. I think so many of us do it kind of subconsciously or automatically that we don't often catch ourselves until maybe somebody else points it out to us or... I don't know. Some of us don't even catch it at all for decades. How do you catch yourself being mean to yourself? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think sometimes it just happens, right? It it is very like, but I just try to be really kind to myself. And before almost every race, I try to find like a mirror just so I can like literally talk to myself and be like, you got this. It's okay. Whatever happens. And I'm proud of you. And I literally am like talking to myself in the mirror. And I've done that pretty much every time I'm about to race because they always have like, mirrors around. I don't know. And I'm always like, you got this. But no matter what, you know, I I just 
again, I just love to swim. And I have to remind myself that at the, at the end of the day. But one thing that just came to mind is when I'm with my girlfriends, with Timmy was saying, it's so easy to get like when you're all together, just start talking negatively about swimming or your performance or whatnot. But I think we do a really good job just reminding each other to speak life. That's kind of something we've said before, like, oh, we just got to speak some life because it really is, right? Positivity goes so far. And that's definitely way more living in life. And yeah, so we just remind each other, speak life. I love that. I love the permission to take the five minutes to as well to be authentic with your experience and your feelings and be disappointed, but then to come back and rejoin the team and find the the positivity and cheer each other on. I love that. I definitely want to take that one away with me. So last question, I want to be mindful of your time, but I'm what you, you talked a little bit about like getting ready for Paris that's coming up in a year. So let's all tune in and cheer Jess on. And what is, you know, on the horizon after that you're in your third decade and what do you see changing? What kind of like goals and aspirations do you have? You mentioned another book you're working on. Is there anything you want to share with us? Yeah, I mean, the, the new book will be coming out next year. So that's exciting. I think after Paris, I think we're figuring that part out. But I love doing a lot of different public speaking. I think for me, that's one thing, just like we've said, it takes practice. So I do a lot of different public speaking, but that's something I would love to do more of. I would really love to end my entire career um, in LA in 2028 and have a final goodbye, a final race. I think that would be awesome. Home soil. But I think for me, you know, I really, really want to give back in some ways. And I'm not really sure what that looks like yet, for sure. I would love to start a foundation. Being adopted from Russia, I definitely have a heart for people who are adopted. I think that's definitely, it's such a beautiful thing, but it also is such a tragedy, right? If you really think about it. And um, that's stuff that I work through really hard in therapy, just working through abandonment. So I love the idea of doing something more with that, but also always giving back to Paralympics just because I love it so much. But I'm not really sure, but I'm also really excited. And I think for now, I'm still in my race. I haven't finished my, my race yet, but I don't know. I know it's coming to an end and I, I'm excited, but also excited. For, I'll be sad, but excited for the next chapter. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited for you. I can't wait to watch and, you know, just, oh, it's so, it's so cool. It's so inspiring. Jess, thank you so, so much for your time today. I know I said last question, but is there anything else that you wanted to say, or maybe a question that you were hoping that I would have asked you that I didn't get to any last words? I think you did really great. I always really like to encourage people to find what they're just passionate about and I think whatever that is, you can define your own success and it doesn't have to be gold medals. It doesn't have to be all this, everything that's kind of come even in my life with swimming, but just find something you love. I think that's the most important thing, whatever passion that is and whatever you find, do do your absolute best and show up every single day for sure. Great advice. Thank you, Jess. So I'll make sure in our show notes that we have the link to the book and to follow along with your journey like social media handles and all that stuff so that people can find you and and continue watching your amazing journey as you go. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. 
This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com. <laughs>